Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. My name's Frankie, and I have the pleasure of reading today. And we're reading 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, to chapter 4, verse 6. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up in glory. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. This is the word of God. Thanks, Frankie. Appreciate that. Yeah, sometimes those microphones are hard to get off the stand, aren't they? All good. You got through it well. Welcome to church. Uh, Glad you can be with us. We come to a really important part of our uh, service now, of our worship. We come to uh, worship the Lord as we open up his word. And uh, we have been going through the book of Timothy uh, over the last few weeks, and we've still got a few weeks to go, and I've been uh, thoroughly enjoying studying and thinking through that. We've had some great stuff we've been thinking through the last uh, couple of weeks. And uh, today, as we begin to set our sights to go into that passage that Frankie has just uh, read for us, I want you to think about this for a moment. Have you ever heard that saying, what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me? Or, you've got your truth, but I've got my truth. That's another word we sort of see getting around our culture today. There seems to be no such thing then when it's like that as objective truth or standalone truth. Like you can define your own truth. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Western culture has gone a long way down this pathway here of questioning everything in life. For what was once a given fact of truth that we just accepted because it's true, all of a sudden now apparently it's open for new opinion or new uh, definition in some particular way. Sadly, even our history in many cases is being rewritten in our universities to to reflect another truth, in quotation marks when I say that word, truth. If it was true in the first place, why do we have to actually rewrite it again to say another thing? Truth. What has happened to truth? We're going to think about today where the church is the pillar and the buttress of truth. Objective, standalone truth. Let's pray though before we we jump into this passage.
Father, we thank you that we're able to come this morning and to open up your living, eternal word. God, we thank you that your spirit works through this word. This word does not stand alone. This word is working with you, God, through your Holy Spirit to bring life to that word. We pray today as we think about this word, we ask, Holy Spirit, would you open up our eyes to see the truth, the truth as contained in Jesus Christ. Please help us today. Help us to be shaped by this truth as well, we ask. And we pray that in your name, Lord. Amen. Okay, as we're going through uh, this first book of Timothy, this uh, letter that Paul, the apostle, writes to Timothy as he was leading the churches in Ephesus, we actually come to the signature verse, or the key verse, of this particular letter as we see what's written there. Paul captures the very essence here of why he's writing to Timothy in this. He tells us, this is verses 14 and 15, he tells us that he's writing to Timothy so that Timothy can instruct the church on how to live as God's people in this broken world, particularly where they are in Ephesus and the things they're facing there. He's saying to Timothy, this is how the church should behave to reflect a life transformed by the gospel, transformed by the truth of who Jesus is. Now in this passage we're also going to see another insight to what the church represents as well as, as Paul's writing, and at least Timothy writing to Paul, Paul writing to Timothy. Uh, and and he's, going to, he's going to go here and say, what does the church stand for and what should the church stand on? Is what we're going to see as we think about this passage. What does the church stand for and what does the church stand on? Here's where we're going to head then today as we think about those thoughts. Uh, God, through his church, his family, is the bastion of truth, or a fortress, if you've got another word, use with a bastion there, the bastion of truth as revealed in Jesus Christ to stop us from believing the lies or falling for the lies of this world. The church is the bastion of truth as God has given it to us. Okay, firstly, let's think about and remember what the church is. Now we see in verse 15 there, Paul uses that word church. Uh, It's actually a Greek word, ecclesia. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek at the time. They don't use that language any longer. So if you think, if I just go to Greece, will I still speak the same language? No, it's an old language called the Koine Greek. So the word ecclesia there is the Greek word. But thinking about the word church, sometimes we use it like this. uh, I'll meet you at the church. And generally we're saying, we'll meet you here at this building. So that's a sense of one way we can use the word church. But that's not, the word, that's not what the word means in its clearest or fullest meaning in the sense of what does church mean. The Greek word for ch- ecclesia for church means called out ones. Those who are called out, these are the people that God has called out to himself. So the church is the called out ones of God, called out from the world, called by God, called into his body of people. So when we meet on a Sunday morning, as we're doing right now, this is a gathering of the called out ones under God. So what is the church? The church is the people that God has called out to gather in community to be his people. Now, we can still call the building the church building as well. That's, that's, That's fine to do that. But if we want to get the true sense of the word church, it's the called out ones, called out by God into his community, into his people. Paul gives us two other ways of thinking about the church here as well. Uh, Firstly, in verse 15, he says there, uh, the household of God, the household of God. 
Paul's giving us here a very safe and loving description of the church, more than just a building. It's the people, but it's a household of God. That's a really big thing for Paul to say there. Because in a household, as it were, resides a family. Normally, if you say, I live in this house, generally it's with a family. Sometimes you could be sharing a house with other people. But if we think of household, particularly in Paul's context, it's a family within that household. So you could say this another way here. The household of God is the family of God. God is our father and we are his children for those who are trusting in Christ for salvation. Now, this is a wonderful picture of church because in this household, when we think of households that are running, say, in a normal pattern, the way God's ordained it to be, there's love in a household, there's loyalty in a household, there's commitment in a household, there's help in a household, to all these things. And it's the same in God's household. There's love and loyalty and commitment to God our Father and also to each other within this family as a household. That's why you might sometimes hear the word or the terms in a church, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we're not brothers and sisters in a blood way in the sense of um, our birth origins here, but within the church, in the household of God, the family of God, that's why you hear the word brothers and sisters. Why? Because that's what we are. We're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And for some people, for some people, that is the only true family that they have, is their church family. Because they may have become a believer and actually their family may have rejected them, pushed them aside, so we don't want anything to do with that churchy stuff. So then they, then they come back to their church family and that becomes their really their true family that support them and carry them through life. For some people, that is the family that they have. It is the church, uh, the church family, the family of God. Secondly here, Paul also says that this household is the church of the living God. Now, sometimes you might think, are these just words that Paul writes? Is this just here for any reason? Well, it's inspired by God's Spirit. And I think he's probably saying this here because where Paul lived, and particularly around that world, was a very religious world. Very religious. Way more religious than today in many respects. Uh, Idols, particularly if you went into um, Corinth... Uh, Athens, sorry, Athens, there was like uh, idols everywhere. So Paul's probably saying, hey, in comparison to these dead and lifeless idols that you have, we've got the living God. Our God is alive, not dead like these things that you are thinking you're worshipping that will bring you life or happiness. Now that's a really awesome statement to make there, that our God is alive. He's not a dead God. For those trusting in Jesus for their salvation, what are we? We are the household of God. We are the family of the sovereign creator who spoke this universe into existence with a single word. He's the eternal being who's always existed. There's never been a time when God hasn't existed because God is outside of time. He has unlimited power to do as he pleases whenever he wants. And in Christ... We are part of his family. That's a big statement. That's the God who's our father in this family. That's staggering when you think about that. Now combine that with the truth that he's the living God, present everywhere all of the time. And think about this. God is in this room right here, right now. 
Just as you and I can see things, God sees everything happening in this room. Just as you and I hear things, God hears everything that's happening in this room. God is in this room. The sovereign creator is here right now amongst us. And he also sees what you think you only know and no one else does know. He sees every thought going through our mind right now. Nothing escapes the notice of God. He's here. He's amongst us right now. God's big. God is huge. God's beyond our comprehension. We are tiny. We are small. And we really are nothing in his sight in comparison to who God is. We don't even register at all. Yet the God who's here right now calls us into his family to know him and to be loved by him. He's amongst us right here, right now. He's not distant. He's not remote. He's here in this room right now. This is the church. This is the household of God. These are the called out ones, called out of following the world with all of its deceptions and lies and now called into his family. If you stop and think about that, what a priceless blessing. What a privilege we have in Christ to be in God's family. He lives with us, he dwells with us by his spirit. Paul now begins to step up this significance here of the church Now, when I say God's with us, is he only with us when we're together? No, he's with us as individuals. But he's manifestly, as it were, more patently aware. We are more aware of his presence when we gather together. So now Paul steps up the significance of this church here with his next line. Look at the end of verse 15. He says there, the church also is a pillar and buttress of the truth. A pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is called to be the pillar and buttress of the truth. Of the truth. Let's think about the word truth there first. What's the truth that we think Paul is referring to? Well, I think he tells us that in the very next verse, and he answers that for us in verse 16. He says this Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Who do you think Paul's talking about there? It's always the same answer in kids' churches. Jesus! That's the answer. They believe this is, the scholars believe that this is some sort of a hymn or creed that they would either sing or recite when they got together as the body of church. Really, what is it? It's a summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? He was manifested in the flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, came in the flesh. Vindicated by the Spirit. Uh, He was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, Seen by angels. He's announced by angels when he's about to come into the world. Uh, Proclaimed among the nations. Well, he's been preached all among the nations by the apostles and the disciples as they travel around. He's believed on the world. People believe in the name of Jesus Christ and they're rescued and saved. He's taken up in glory. And you can read that at the start of Acts. He's taken up in glory and he returns back to heaven. It's a summary here of Jesus Christ. 
Now, it's not the complete detailed description of who he is um, and of what Jesus has taught. Uh, we have the rest of the New Testament, which is part of what we're reading now in First Timothy, that fills out this description for us and gives us the things that Jesus taught. We have all that now. But this is the truth that the church becomes the pillar and the buttress for. It's the truth of who Jesus Christ has revealed to us through the scriptures. That's what we hold on to. And this, that truth, the truth of Christ, is what the world desperately needs to hear. They don't know it, but they desperately need to hear it. You see, in today's age when truth is supposedly up for grabs, and in the name of freedom we all get to define what truth is for my personal story or my personal agenda, and that's supposedly ultimate freedom, I can define who I want to be and I can define what truth is for me and you define what truth is for you. When we see that, what we're actually seeing then is one of the key reasons why Western culture is falling apart. In our quest for ultimate freedom, we define what truth is for us. Everything we might have believed as true we actually begin to jettison it. We push it out because we want to redefine everything now. What suits my personal story or what suits my personal agenda? And it's any wonder that some of the countries in the Middle East and some of the countries in the Soviet bloc look on into Western culture and they laugh at Western culture because you are just tearing yourselves apart because you, you really are, as it were, chipping away at the very foundations of what built you as a Western culture. You're actually saying these foundations of truth, you're just breaking them up because you want to redefine all these things. No longer do we accept what, we, what has been accepted for millennia as truth. And that is the, one of the key reasons why Western culture is beginning to have vast cracks working through its foundations. Well the church has this opportunity to hold out the truth of the gospel, which holds out the very truth of who God is and holds out to our culture this truth that they desperately need, but they may not necessarily want. That's what the culture needs. They need to hear the truth about who Jesus is. This is the role then of the church. It is to be the salt and light into the culture around us. The church is to be a people of the truth. We don't fall for lies or deceptions. We don't fall for false stories or false narratives. The church is a people of the truth. Paul says there the church is a pillar for the truth. In other words, what does a pillar do? Well, pillars hold things up, don't they? If you go to some of those temples and things you see around, particularly around Europe and that, these massive big concrete pillars, well, they hold something up. So what does the church do? The church holds up the truth. We actually hold the truth of who Christ is up for all the world to see. We hold this up because we know Jesus Christ is the answer for this broken world. The church is told there also it's a buttress Anybody know what a buttress is? Some builders here, yeah, Peter, yeah. Got a few that know. Well, the buttress is like this strong foundation. It's like the anchor point. Everything, this, this buttresses everything together, holds it all together. Therefore, if we think about that, everything the church says or proclaims as a buttress 
Everything the church uh, says or proclaims must safely rest on the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he said. That's the buttress. Not us as the people, but who Jesus is and what he said. We don't stand on our version of the truth. We don't stand on our interpretation of the facts of the event. Can you imagine if we did stand on our version of it? It would be a disaster. We couldn't agree. We'd all just go in our separate ways because my version is different to your version and I don't think how you think and it just wouldn't work. It would be a total disaster. The church confidently stands on the truth of who Jesus is and what he says as the buttress. Now, having said that, I think in some ways the church needs to apologise, perhaps at times, for the way we've held out the truth. Sometimes we've been really cold or callous or insensitive to people in sort of nearly smacking them around the mouth with the truth. Other than approaching them in a, in a sensitive way, in a loving way, still with the truth, but actually doing that in a way that actually connects with people. Sometimes the church needs to apologise for the way we've held out the truth. It's been too hard, it's been too callous. It hasn't the mark. But at the same time, we, the church, the people, carefully and sensitively must hold out the truth. And we know sometimes it will be rejected and it will be ridiculed. They'll say this church is out of touch with the culture. That's all old school the way you're thinking. The culture's moved on from that today and it will be rejected, it will be ridiculed. But we don't need to run away from the truth because the church has been sidelined or isolated. And that's a fear sometimes for the church. I think we feel like we're getting marginalised. Maybe we've sort of got to change things to get more connected to the culture. No. In fact, the very opposite, I think. I think there's a massive opportunity for the church to really actually put out there another narrative use the words of the world, and that narrative is the truth of the gospel. As their culture is falling apart, as they're trying to build their lives on these faulty foundations, I think as the church lovingly proclaims the truth and lives out the truth of who Christ is, they might just ask, who is this Jesus that you're building your life upon? You you seem to have your life together to an extent, and you're going through the same stuff we're going through, but you seem to be able to hold it all together. Whereas I look at the way our culture's going, this is I'm talking about someone else, I look at the way our culture's going around about us, and we're falling apart. We're fragmenting. I think there's an opportunity here for the church to promote this truth, proclaim this truth, and they might just ask who Jesus is. What a great question if they did ask that. So as we think about this truth, here's something we need to firstly put in our minds. The church has to be constantly immersed in the truth of who he is, and his teachings. Why do I say that? Because Satan will use all possible means to deceive and to confuse us to lose sight of the truth. That's what's happening here at Ephesus. That's why Paul is writing to Timothy here, because their truth is being attacked on many, many fronts. False teachers have crept into the church, and they're teaching lies, not the truth. 
Have a look here in, in uh, Timothy chapter 4, the first couple of verses. Paul writes to Timothy and says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of lies whose consciences are seared. It's a bit of a left turn for Paul as he writes there to Timothy. Now the, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by teaching devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. You might be thinking of later times, is that like later? When's later? Is that like beyond us? Is Paul talking about that? I won't go into the background of it though, but when the Bible talks of later times, it's not talking about the last days of the earth. Okay, When the Bible talks about, particularly the New Testament, when the Bible talks about the last days or later times, it's referring to all time between when Jesus ascended back to heaven until he returns again. The Bible sees that as the last days. We may have the last days of the last days at some point, but when the Bible talks about later times or last days, it's referring to that whole period of when Jesus ascended until Jesus comes back. So Paul is saying right now, not sometime in the future, Paul is saying, right now, you have false teachers, possibly unknowingly, maybe knowingly, carrying out Satan's purposes, because Paul's saying there, doctrines of demons, to teach lies. And what are these false teachers teaching? What are they actually trying to bring into the church? Well, look in verse 3. They forbid marriage and they require abstinence from foods that God created to be received and with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. They're coming and saying, stop marrying. Don't marry anymore and stop eating certain foods. Maybe you'll stop eating KFC, I'm not sure. Anyway, stop marrying, stop eating certain foods. Paul says, what the heck? No way. That's a lie. No way, Paul says. Now, he only addresses food here, but he replies, all food has been given by God to be eaten with thanksgiving. It's all been given by God to eat thanksgiving. And in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul also says this about food. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and we're no better off if we do. Food's nothing. It's nothing, Paul says. But yet these false teachers are saying, no, you've got to abstain from certain foods because you eat those foods, it's sinful. You're missing the mark if you eat those foods. Now, how would we know what to do if somebody came teaching us that we need to abstain or not eat certain foods if we want to be right with God? How would we know how to react? What would we do? Someone comes in and says, stop eating KFC. I love KFC. What? No, KFC's sinful. What do I do? Keep eating, someone says. <laughs> I've got another answer. Go back to chapter 4, verse 3. What does it say at the end there? How do I know? Paul says, by those who believe and know the truth. Know the truth. You wouldn't know what to do if someone came along and taught you that you shouldn't eat certain foods if you didn't know the truth. But if you know the truth, you know how to respond. You know how to react if someone comes and teaches that. That's the church's role. 
seeing followers navigate their law, uh, navigate their way through this world by knowing the truth and knowing and understanding that the Holy Spirit works in and through that truth to help us to grow, to be the salt and the light we need to be in the world around us. The church, the pillar and buttress of the uh, church, is there to build up believers by teaching them in the truth. So they know to ha- how to answer the KFC people. KFC's okay. Now, why is this important for us today? Well, it's no different to Paul's day back then 2,000 years ago. Satan hasn't changed his plans over the last couple of thousand years. What he's doing back then, he does today. We know Satan from the Bible is the father of all lies. He specialises in deception. He specialises in deceiving us. Satan will work through every available means to deceive and to confuse us, doing all he can to throw us off course and to sink us in his ocean of lies. Every single person in this room is subject to that, to one degree or another, working to deceive us, working to sink us. What is the Christian life like? Well, it's like a ship. It's like a ship. And we sail out into the oceans of this world, listening to and being influenced by a whole million different voices every day. We leave port and we sail out into the world and we're hearing a million different things coming into our minds and our hearts. Emails that we receive. Instagram reels that we watch. YouTube videos that we consume. TV shows that we watch. News media commentary that we tune into. And conversations with mates at work. All of these things are speaking into our heart and our mind in various ways. And all of these things have an impact on how we think. Don't think that that stuff just bounces and it doesn't sink in to some extent. Sometimes it goes way in, sometimes it does just just penetrate the surface a little bit. And often the way Satan works isn't with a direct attack on God, such as that God is dead. Or something like that. The way he might be trying to program a message through what we're hearing. Sometimes it can be direct like that. But that's not the normal way that Satan does it. Normally it's very subtle and very deceptive. It could be, as we're hearing all these voices speak into our heads from all these multiple directions, it could be that we're thinking about moral issues like abortion or marriage and family definitions. Those things are just being tweaked from different directions. Just a slightly definition how we might think about abortion or a slightly definition how we might think about marriage or a slightly different definition how we might think about marriage. It just sort of comes in subtly and just sort of just cracks open the door. Sometimes then, as we've heard that, we come away confused by what someone's told me or what I've listened to. And sometimes if we allow that to go deep enough, it penetrates far enough to actually cause doubt into our long-held beliefs. Maybe that person's right. It sounded so clear. I'm not sure. You could come away at the end of an article or something. You're just not, I'm not sure where I landed. Well, this is the ship of the Christian life. We sail out in the world and we hear all these things. But then what happens on a Sunday is this. We get to sail our ship back into port. And as we come into port, we tie up alongside all the other ships that are back in port. We're in port this morning and we're tied up alongside each other. And what do we do? 
We listen to sound doctrine. We listen to the truth from the Bible. The Holy Spirit works through that truth, works in our hearts, works in our minds. And as that's happening, it's like the sails of our ship are being repaired after the week we've been through, where there's been sustained numbers of attacks on this truth. And we come this morning and we just like we repair the sails with the truth. We stitch it all back together again with the truth of who God is. And we're good to go again. Now we can, we can do that with personal Bible reading for sure and we would encourage that with every single follower of Jesus. And if you've not followed Jesus, we would encourage you to discover Jesus by reading through the Bible. That rebuilds our sails in this world. But there's something here. There's something about the gathered community when we intentionally focus on God's word, sitting down like we are now and hearing God's word come off these pages as a word, there's something the Holy Spirit uses to magnify the impact of that upon us. I'm not saying God can't work out. He does. But there's something about what God has ordained in the gathered community in preaching where the Spirit uses that to, as it were, magnify the impact. Nothing special about me whatsoever. I'm no different to you. I'm a broken vessel. But this is what God does through the preaching and through the opening up of his word. There's something about that as we come together. So we don't negate that. What is this? The church is the pillar and the buttress of truth. Not our version of truth, but who Jesus Christ is. Now, there's great blessings for us in this. Again, as I say, we're not called to be intellectual bookheads. Just like I'm cramming all this truth into my head. I'm going to be like a walking computer. I can just. We want the truth in there, but it's, it actually grabs our hearts, and we see God working through that truth to do great things in our life. The truth that Jesus gives to us sets us free from Satan's deceptions. Now look what Jesus says in John chapter 8. He says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, if you abide in my truth, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? It will set you free. It will set you free. The truth of who Jesus is will set you free from the lies and deceptions that are around about us, that are bombarding us every day. That's a blessing. Do you want to be set free from lies? Do you want to sort of see clearly into this world and know how to navigate when things come? We have to get the truth into our hearts because that sets us free from the lies that we so easily believe. It doesn't stop there. God is so generous with his truth. The truth brings joy and the truth brings hope into our lives. Have a look at what he says in Romans chapter 15. He says this. Paul's finishing off the, this book to the Romans, his letter to the Romans. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What are they believing? They're believing in the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing the truth. I'm not adding to God's word. I'm just um, saying what he's talking about here. In believing the truth of who Jesus is so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works through that truth, works through what we believe as from the Bible. 
so that the Holy Spirit, may, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, may, you may abound in hope. Now that's a blessing, isn't it? And I'm sure many of you experience that. I know for myself, there's been countless times when I've heard all manner of commentary around the world in, in events that are happening. Sometimes they're world events, sometimes they're situations that are local. And sometimes I'm left a little bit confused by what I'm hearing. Then I come back to the truth to stabilise my mind from going off in all sorts of crazy directions with what, what I've just heard. And when I do that, it's like I can feel the peace of Christ and the joy of Christ. This truth just actually washes over me. And it just filters through all the stuff I might have just heard in a newsreel or whatever. And it just speaks peace and joy back into my heart again when I do that. Or it could be like this. Sometimes circumstances of life are crushing. Not so much the events, major world events. It can be just crushing events and it really feels like my world is crumbling beneath me. I feel cooked. I feel done in. I just can't go another day sometimes. And it's amazing how many times I've turned to the truth of God's word and just began to read something out of the Gospels or read something out of the Psalms. And it's like a breath of fresh air just renews my focus on who Jesus is. It works. It really, really works. And that truth gives me newfound strength to live for his glory despite my circumstances. They haven't gone away. It's still there. It's still crumbling. But just to get that truth into my heart and mind just gives me that newfound strength again to just, I can do this. With the truth of who God is and his Holy Spirit working in and through that truth. It's like a breath of fresh air. What is the church? The church is God's vehicle to have that truth revealed to the world through the beauty of Christ. As a buttress, we build our lives on that truth. As a pillar, we hold that truth out to the world. We hold it out for all the world to see. What are you listening to today? I'm not talking about me at this point in time, but what are you listening to today that you think is the truth that will save you? Who is that influencer or podcaster you're listening to? Are they pointing you to Jesus in truth? Or are they trying to sort of point you in some other direction? What are you listening to? That's really, really important. Is the Bible, is God's word, is it the ground and buttress of truth for you? If it is, praise God if it is, are you really digging into it? Are you stopping and meditating upon what this is saying to me? Would you sort of just brush over it quickly and just get on with my day? I sort of tick, done the Bible reading. Are you thinking over a passage carefully when you read this? And are you feeling what it's saying? Now you might say, Todd, that sounds a bit strange. How do I feel something? Well, it's like something begins to grip your heart a bit. You stop and you read it slowly. You think on the words and you understand the implications of that. And then it's like you feel something on the inside. It's actually it's getting reality with, on the inside of me. So we're not talking about speed reading the Bible. We're talking about actually thinking about what God is saying to me through his word. Are you stopping to feel what God is saying by really feeling it in your heart as you stop and think and meditate upon that? Don't be surprised if you have lots of distractions when it comes to that, particularly when it comes to the Bible. Don't be surprised if there's all sorts of things to squeeze you out from reading the Bible. 
Don't be surprised also that sure that Satan's hand is working in that to keep you away from that. He doesn't want you or I in the truth. That's the last place he wants us is here. So he will do whatever he can to distract us, whether it's personal by reading or even gathering together other believers, whether it's Sunday morning or midweek. He'll throw all manner of things at us. Just you don't need to go. Oh, you've already been twice this month. That's plenty. He'll do anything to keep us away from that truth. And we mustn't be ashamed to hold out the truth of who Jesus is and what he says for all to see. We mustn't be ashamed of that. The truth will seem foolish to the ears of this world. You believe in some guy who 2,000 years ago in the, in the, the Roman culture was crucified on a cross and that supposedly gets me back to God because he died for my sins? Do, do you really believe that fairy tale? Yes, absolutely. Don't be ashamed of that. Actually, boldly proclaim it. Why? Because this is the message that God has chosen to use, and this is the message that the Holy Spirit will use as the truth to open up the eyes of our friends and our family. And they may be blind one day, but by God's grace their eyes will be opened by him another day, and then they say, it's true. Well, you weren't telling me that a few months ago, were you, sort of thing? But that's what happens. So don't be ashamed of that truth. Be bold about that. Proclaim that truth. It might sound foolish, that doesn't matter. It's the truth. So we stick with the truth. Let me close here with these words of Jesus' words as he responds to Pilate as he's about to be crucified for our sins to set us free and reconcile us to God. And Jesus says this in John chapter 18. Uh, sorry, Pilate says to him, uh, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The church is the pillar and the buttress in the truth of the gospel. It saves us, it transforms us, we build our lives upon it and we hold it out for the world to see and we pray and we pray that many, many, many other people will come to see this glorious truth so they too will be set free, they'll know peace, joy and hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we are able to come and open up your word. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing through Paul into the life of Timothy and now 2,000 years later to us here today at Exchange Church. Help us to see what a gift you've given to us, Lord, in the church, but in the truth that you've given to the church as well. And now also the responsibility of the church to be the pillar and the buttress of truth. God, you've entrusted with us the message of the gospel that may sound foolish in the ears of those around about us. But Lord, it's the message of truth. It's the message that sets us free. It's the message that brings peace, joy and hope into our lives. Help us today, Lord, to live out that truth, to immerse ourselves in that truth. So we won't fall for the lies and deceptions of this world, but that truth will grow within us. And we pray that through that truth, Lord, that we will be humble about that, yet confident in that truth, 
proud with that truth, but that you would grow your kingdom so many, many other people would come to know this truth. Lord, today we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well. Thank you.